welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and what I'm supposed to tell you is that this show is all about comics, movies, and TV shows. And I guess in a kind of general sense, that's actually sort of true, but as I've pointed out on, I think at this point, numerous occasions, the great majority of my focus and attention is typically directed toward comics. And the reason for that, again, as I've said on numerous occasions, the reason for that is because I love comics. I love the types of stories that can be told in comics. In fact, stories, I'll go out on a limb and say, can be told only in comics. And so as a result of that, when push comes to shove, when the time comes, when the chips are down, what I'm always probably, well, probably always going to do, what I'm, fuck it, what I'm always going to do is talk about comics. And the fact of the matter, guys, is I've done a few episodes about, about movies, all right? It's not that they're very hard to find, it's just that they're kind of few and far between. Does that make sense? In the big scheme of things, I would say that of the three things that I'm that this show is officially about, which is to say comics, movies, and TV shows, of the three things that my podcast is officially about, I think it would be fair and accurate to say that movies tend to get short shrift a little bit. Of all the three major things that I talk about, movies are probably the one that that's most likely to get the shaft. Hopefully that makes sense. So what I decided to do is just sort of balance out the ledger. Now, technically, what I'm supposed to be talking about this week is Legion of Superheroes, Volume 4, Number 2. Right? That's what I'm supposed to be talking about. I even announced it on the Trennis Magnus Punches Reality Facebook group. And now I've got a little bit of egg on my face because I decided, and guys, I'm not kidding. This truly was like a last minute decision. I decided to go in a different direction this time. And with kind of an eye on how little I talk about movies when you really think about it, I thought, you know what? I'm about to start talking about a shit ton of Legion of Superheroes comics. So before I dive into that, maybe what I need to do is spend just a little bit of time talking about a movie. So what's the movie going to be? And I cast about for an idea for a movie, and I just wasn't really coming up with anything that I thought was going to be all that interesting to the listeners, right? Uh, I, I gave it some thought, and literally everything that I could think of, it just, it just seemed like there was something that maybe it would be interesting to me, but I don't know how interesting it would be to others. Now, there's a school of thought that says a podcaster's first duty is to keep himself interested, and then from there, let the audience find him, right? And there's even a sense in which I even kind of believe in that a little bit. But 
to me, if I'm going to go to all the trouble of upending my schedule and making such a big change at the last minute, it may as well be something that I know for a fact at least one other person besides me would want to listen to. So, what am I going to do? So, gave it some thought, and what I realized is, you know what? There is a listener out there who, as far as I can tell anyway, there is a listener out there who since, I don't know, maybe for like the last year and a half, maybe two years or something like that, basically since the last time, or maybe the only time really, that I had John Wilson and Rebecca Johnson on the show to talk about Batman v Superman, this listener, again, as far as I can tell, has followed me through thick and thin, high and low, ups and downs, everything, right? And I'm reading between a lot of different lines here, but I get the idea that this particular listener is a bit more interested in film rather than comics. And so if I'm going to go to the trouble of upending all my schedule, if I'm going to go to the trouble uh, to talk about a movie as opposed to the comic book that I was supposed to talk about this week... If I'm going to go to the trouble of finding something that at least one other person besides me is going to find interesting, who better to choose from than, uh, again, as far as I can tell, a loyal listener who has listened to just about everything I've put out over the last year, maybe two years, or however long it's been since that three-part Batman v Superman retrospective spectacular extravaganza giant-sized annual 80-page giant number zero it seemed like David was was going to be a, a a a good choice, you know. So what I did was I sent him a message on Facebook saying, uh, "Hey David, uh, why don't you go ahead and tell me what your ten favorite movies are?" My thinking behind this was the guy seems to have kind of a a broad taste in well everything, but in film in particular. And so I thought, well, if this guy were to type up a list of his 10 favorite movies and then send it to me, I'd be willing to bet money that there's there will be at least a handful of movies in there that I would be interested in podcasting about, right? <clears throat> and uh, sure enough, there there were a handful. In fact, by depending on how you define such a term, perhaps more than a handful. Now, I'm not going to read the entire list here because I kind of want to save maybe a little something-something for the future. But there were, at a glance, four movies that I can swear that I would that I would do a podcast about. And two of these are actually kind of obvious because I've spent quite a lot of time podcasting about them. One of them, one of the movies uh, on uh, uh, David Wang's top ten, this is uh, Man of Steel. Well, obviously, I've got a lot to say about Man of Steel because I think I spent something like, I think it's almost like if you if you just go through the entire history and tally everything all together up, I think I've spent something like almost seven or eight hours of cumulative podcasting talking about Man of Steel. So clearly, I have a lot to say about it. Another one is... <clears throat> Uh, Batman v Superman. And here again, this is a movie clearly I have a lot to say about because I think I've spent, again, something like eight or nine or ten hours altogether 
podcasting about Batman v Superman. So that that's two right there that are on his top 10. And I can't help thinking that talking about those two films may have, that may have been part of the reason he started listening to me in the first place. I mean, my understanding of the chronology of what happened is he's actually a uh, a listener of Rebecca Johnson's and he followed her over to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality so that uh, he could listen to her talk about Batman v Superman with me and John Wilson. That I think that's what happened. Could be wrong, but I think that's what happened. So, and David, if I'm wrong about that, I hope you're, number one, I hope you're listening. And number two, I hope you correct me if I, if I am wrong about that. So like I say, of the handful of films I was able to find just like that, looking at his, uh, his top 10 movies list. Well, there you go. That's two already. So from there, I thought, well, what else can I possibly talk about that people besides me might find interesting? And the first thing that jumped out and caught my attention without question was 1998's The Mask of Zorro. And one of the reasons that this kind of jumped out at me from the jump was because of the fact that I've seen that movie. I like that movie. And I'm going to be real honest with you guys. I was this close to making uh, an episode about the Mask of Zorro. I want to say it was, God, it, it was, uh, it's pretty late. I want to say it was, uh, maybe September or October. I was starting to, uh, not even necessarily come up with a, co- a, a coherent plan. I was just thinking to myself, you know, might be kind of interesting to do an episode about that, but, uh, <clears throat> some things happened in the fall of 2018 and it ended up that it just it just didn't work out. You know, number one, there was a little bit of fear on my part that maybe I wouldn't have as much to say about The Mask of Zorro as I might have thought, at least to justify doing an episode of this show about it. And then there's the fact that, guys, I'm just not going to lie to you, a lot of bitterness and a lot of anger and a lot of things set in with me that at least in the latter part of 2018 made podcasting a not very attractive proposition for me. I mean, uh, I told people at the time, and I was only half joking when I said it, but I told people at the time that I was in the process of smothering Trennis Magnus Punch's reality with a pillow. I was struggling, I I was not struggling, I was suffering from what I can only now describe as a really severe case of don't give a fuckism. And I was just in a really, really horrible mood. And I I haven't really gone into a whole lot of details about, you know, like why that is. But there was a purpose. And honestly, maybe this is one of those things that maybe it'll make for a good episode of, I don't know, like one of those E! True Hollywood types of stories. I'm not really interested in getting into it right now. It's enough to say, though, that there, and this is the point, there were a lot of things that were happening in the latter part of 2018 that made podcasting about the Mask of Zorro just not a very attractive proposition for me. <clears throat> I don't know why my throat gets dry like this. The minute I start podcasting, it's really pissing me off. Just a minute. Just wanted to get a sip off my water. So anyway... Uh, 
And you know what? That's ultimately what led to the hiatus. And I just needed some downtime. I got some downtime. Maybe I'm not as angry and ranty and pissed off at podcasting as I was, in, like I say, in the latter part of 2018. And so, you know what I thought? And this is the point. I'm about to dive into what is what I think is going to be a kind of lengthy series on uh, the Legion of Superheroes five years later and just how much I love those comics. So maybe before I get going into that stuff, maybe what I want to do is talk about a movie. And I just kind of outlined, you know, how I settled on talking about The Mask of Zorro. Now, one of the things that I... I dare not exaggerate in saying I have never, ever podcasted about Zorro. I've never talked about Zorro, at least at any great length, at least that I can remember. But Zorro is one of those characters that's always been uh, kind of interesting to me, you know? I suppose my introduction to Zorro, like a lot of people my age, I, I think my introduction to Zorro was actually the uh, Family Channel TV show. I was, I had sort of a passing awareness of uh, of Zorro prior to that time, but he was just a guy in a mask who had a sword. I didn't really think a whole lot about it beyond that, you know? And obviously, you can't really ignore the influence Zorro had on Batman, which I hope I remember to talk about in just a little while, but anyway. And I was really getting into Batman about the time that the Zorro TV show started up on the Family Channel. And so I thought, okay, well, this will be kind of a, you know, neat little show to watch. It's not really Batman, but like I say, the influence that Zorro has on Batman is... I don't think Bob Kane ever even denied it, you know? So uh, I, I thought, well, there's enough connective tissue. I think I can get into this show. And in general, I did. But it would be a mistake... Or not even a mistake. It would be just an outright fucking lie for me to sit here and tell you guys that I understood the context of Zorro. Because, guys, I was only like nine years old or, or ten or something like that when that show started. And I didn't really know a whole lot about any kind of history or anything like that. And, and or at least not, an, not the history of California, put it that way. Um... A lot of you, I realize that this is maybe going to be a little bit inside baseball, and for that I apologize, but you guys need to understand something here, okay? The history of Texas is pretty fucking epic, okay? I, I've, I've lived here my whole life. I've studied Texas history, both as a hobby and, let's face it, for school. And generally, the way that the, the history of Texas gets taught uh, for people who live in Texas is... They, the curriculum usually starts with just kind of a broad overview of America, you know, the 13 original colonies, none of which I could ever hope to, or I can name, I can't say none of them. I can't name all of them, put it that way. So, so much for education, I guess. Anyway, so they kind of give you the broad overview, you know, this is your country, this is how it, how it founded, you know, the 13 original colonies and all that fun stuff. Oh, and here's Texas, and Texas used to be its own independent republic. This was after it, it fought a war of independence against Mexico, and, you know, just fucking blah, 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 blah. All the stuff that unfolded from there. Guys, it's a big fucking subject, is the point. And so this, at least at the time that the Family Channel TV show started up, 
this was just not in the curriculum. You know, this wider history of uh, of the United States and all these different things that happened. They were teaching us Texas history at that time. The history of the United States comes later. You understand? So, all in all, it would be fair to, and this is my point, it would be fair to say I didn't have a great context for understanding the the uh, political systems and whatnot that I was seeing at work in uh, the Family Channel TV show. I just didn't really grasp it at the time. Now, today, yes, I understand, but back then, I didn't. And so I basically gravitated to uh, toward the characters, I gravitated toward the action and all that stuff. But there was always something about that family, t- uh, that Family Channel TV show that just seemed eh, missing. Because I think I think the uh, Family Channel show, I think that was called the New Adventures of Zorro, if memory serves, and it was in in in, in certain kinds of ways, it was sort of typical of half-hour action-adventure TV shows from the late 80s, early 90s intended for children, all right? It is very much a part of that milieu. And so even even at such a young age, I guess what I wanted from The New Adventures of Zorro, and this is no criticism, you understand. I'm just saying this is one of the reasons why The New Adventures of Zorro is not a, a favorite of mine to this day, what I wanted from that show was maybe something a bit more into character, you know, and we didn't really get that as much, you know, or maybe what I've, maybe as like more of an adult, you know, maybe what I, what I would have wanted was something that was more like, kind of like a political thriller in a, in a kind of way. And that is just not the new adventures of Zorro, right? Again, I'm not saying it's a bad show. In fact, I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying it's a good show. I'm just saying that what I wanted from Zorro back then, from a Zorro TV show back then, and I would say probably what I want from a Zorro TV show today is just not something that the new adventures of Zorro is prepared to give me. But like I say, at the very minimum, I will give the new adventures of Zorro credit for setting the table for me when it comes to Zorro, what he's about, his world, his his uh, characterization, his methods. And those are things that just kind of stayed percolating in the, in, in the back of my mind and just sort of bubbled uh, in the background, especially as I began studying United States history in school. And then, uh, and then later, just because I like history and I like to learn things, I also studied history independently. And the, the Spanish presence or colonies, or whatever whatever you want to call it, that existed in North America, what I discovered very quickly is that there is a very rich, and I would say kind of epic history, that goes on there, which I get it. I'm not trying to criticize anybody. I'm not trying to criticize my teachers or the curricula that, that, that we learned or anything like that, because it's like anything. You have to be choosy. You've only got so much time in the classroom you can't necessarily get into the blood and guts of everything. But like I say, there's some really fucking epic history that goes on with uh, California. It, it's getting passed from, uh, from, from this power to this power. And now, and now it's, it, it's a state. It, it, it's a member state of America. 
and and all of this. I mean, there's some really fucking big history that went on there, and it did it it did a lot. I would say to kind of shade in Zorro and his world for me. But I hadn't seen the Family Channel TV show in years by that point. And so all I had was kind of a memory of it. And maybe that was not a bad way for me to just kind of sort of devise my own approach, my own interpretation of who Zorro is, what makes him tick, what world does he live in, uh, what are just the, the day-to-day realities that he has, that, that he has to face, um, uh, social norms, uh, the political challenges, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and what I came to realize was, and again, this was having not seen anything to do with Zorro in years. This was when I was in high school. I kind of fell ass backwards into this. But what I realized was what Zorro, I I thought when I was about, I don't know, 14, 15, 16 in through there, basically not very long before the Mask of Zorro film came out, was that Don Diego de la Vega... He is, he is two things simultaneously. He is an idealist and he is a reformer. And the thing about it that I realized uh, about Don Diego de la Vega is that in a certain kind of sense, there, 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 is, there is the possibility that one's idealism could very much clash with one's reformist tendencies, all right? There may be a, a temptation to bite off a little bit more than you can chew. There may be a temptation to take on a challenge that is just fundamentally too fucking big for you, all right? And so the way I began to kind of rationalize it was that Zorro is Don Diego de la Vega he's keeping himself honest in a certain kind of way, all right? He's a little bit of a visionary, all right? He knew, just pick a number, 10 years, 20 years, four years, five, just whatever. It, it doesn't matter. He knew before Mexico's war for independence with Spain, he knew that, number one, the people would eventually want to declare independence from Spain. And number two, that Spain is beatable. This is a real thing. And so what I think is Don Diego de la Vega decided, you know what? I'm going to help. I want these people to have the courage to face Spain. This is one of the premier powers in the world of that time. Even then, you know, some would say, especially then. I want to give these people the courage to do it. Here's the thing. This has got to be seen as a movement of the people. All right? Don Diego de la Vega does not want people to question him. They don't, he didn't want people to question his motives because he knows that his motives truly are altruistic. He simply wants what's best for the people. And he believes that independence from Spain is ultimately what's going to be best for the people. And so how best to tackle this? Well, what Diego eventually decides is, you know what? This has to be seen as a movement of the people. I need a disguise. 
I need to be this mythical, swashbuckling, uh, almost uh, folklore type of figure, you know? I need to be a blank slate onto which the people can project themselves. When people see me ride into battle, they need to not see me, Diego, the man. They need to see themselves. I must wear a mask. People are going to know. They're not stupid. They're going to know that I live among them. But they won't know who I am. Their first assumption is going to be that I'm one of them. I'm, I'm one of the people myself. The reason I think he would want to do that is because he's part of the the nobility. He's part of the 1%. He's, he's, he's one of the fat cats. And if it's shown that a Spanish, basically Spanish nobility is leading some kind of rebellion against Spain itself, it's going to look to the people like perhaps this is a power grab. Or at the very least, anybody with two brain cells to rub together is there. Anybody with two brain cells to rub together is going to ask himself, and they will ask, I think, Diego, why are you doing this? What's in it for you? Let's say that let's say that you're successful. Let's say that you win. Let's say that you lead an uprising against the Spanish, and we kick their asses. They 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 cede this country to us. Everything's done up nice, legal, and it's official. We are now an independent country. What do you get out of this? Why would you want this? Because in theory, you should have a little bit of a conflict of interest here, Mr. Spanish nobility. So why is it then that you would take sides against your own country simply to free us? What do you get out of it? And the fact is, he doesn't really get anything out of it himself, at least not directly. What I think Diego ultimately wants is for people to be free. He looks around, basically Spanish-occupied California. He sees a bunch of uh, commoners, peasants, who are living in misery and suffering so that the the local dons, basically the Spanish nobility, uh, can feel like a bunch of uh, feel like a bunch of big shots. And Diego has moral problems with that. So at its core, this is a very, and I, this, I mean, the concept of Zorro. This is a very altruistic, very selfless, and I would say very honorable thing that Diego was trying to do. And once it's over, and he knows it's going to be over, once the war has ended, as he knows it will, and once Mexico is independent of Spain, as he knows it will be, it's going to be time for Zorro to call it a day. This isn't something that Diego wants to spend the rest of his life doing. He wants to show up, inspire others, make a difference, and then vanish. Ideally, his true identity would never be made public to the world because ultimately... This isn't supposed to be about Zorro. It's not supposed to be about Don Diego de la Vega. It's supposed to be about the people. And that gets lost the minute Zorro takes off his mask and reveals his true identity. 
after the Spanish have packed up and gone and gone back home. Uh, basically, once Mex uh, Mexico is truly independent, for him to unmask himself, he risks destroying everything that he... He didn't create himself, but he helped set into motion. Once Mexico is independent, he's got to go. Simple as that. After that, once he's gone, the people have to find their own way. Maybe they're going to make good decisions. Maybe they're going to make bad decisions. But no matter what happens, they have to be the captains of their own destiny. Because ultimately, that's what this was really all about in the first place. And so all of this is kind of a really fucking long way of saying that that was basically the interpretation of uh, Zorro that I'd come up with just in isolation, studying American history and obviously specifically a little bit of the history of California when I was in school and just or not not at again, not as part of school necessarily, but during my high school years. This was one of the things that I ultimately kind of landed on, that Diego has to be the, the, uh, the epitome of altruism, the, the, uh, the epitome of idealism. And obviously he's got the, just the sheer talent physically, mentally, and everything else to make it happen. But that, <clears throat> that's my point. You know, unlike Batman, that I could see trying, at least, to do this, he would set out to do this, I think, for the rest of his life. Now, again, as I've said, when it comes to Batman, I think a day would come when he would change his mind about that. But Diego, I think, would go into this thing with no illusions. Zorro has a shelf life. He's looking for a specific event to happen. And once that happens, as he knows it will, it's time for him to call it a day. And that was sort of the characterization that I'd mentally developed of Diego for all those years. And as it turned out, that was actually, I think, a pretty good little way of preparing myself for 1998's Mask of Zorro. And because that's more or less the, the characterization of Diego that we see at least at the beginning of Zorro. And then... And then things take a turn. But before they do, we have at, at, at the beginning of the movie, this is, a, this is basically the Diego Zorro's save the cat moment, right? He basically, he has a showdown with Spanish uh, soldiers. Basically, the, the Mexican War of Independence, it, it, it's winding down. The, the writing is on the wall. And the Spanish, uh, the Spanish governor, uh, government is about to leave. Now the Dons, as it stays out, uh, as it turns out, they're going to stay behind, but at least the Spanish government, they are being recalled to Spain. And so this is basically the last hurrah for, uh, for Diego's Zorro. And also for, and of course now I'm, I can't seem to find the, oh yeah, Don Rafael uh, Montero. He's basically the governor. And this is basically the last hurrah, or it's supposed to be the last hurrah, between Montero and Diego. And they both know it. And 
you get the idea that they've they've danced this dance dozens of times, hundreds of times, maybe even thousands of times over the years. This time is a little bit different, though. But we'll circle back to that. This is basically the save the cat moment, uh, at least for Diego, where or Diego's Zorro, as it were. Um, he he beats the shit out of the Spanish soldiers. He saves the the uh, prisoners who were about to get shot to death for literally no reason whatsoever. Just they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. So now they're going to get lined up in front of a firing squad. Zoro saves them, and this, like I say, was supposed to be the last hurrah. Except, not quite. After he comes home, Diego takes off his mask, he takes off his Zoro getup, says hello to his infant daughter, says hello to his wife, and then promptly gets arrested and tossed into prison. And guys, that's when I knew I was locked the fuck in on this movie, right? Because we, everything that I, that I spent like the last half hour up to this point trying to explain about how I view Don Diego as the ultimate idealist, the ultimate altruist and, and all that stuff. That is very much the character that starts off this movie. But when his wife dies and his daughter is forcibly taken from him, and then he, on top of all of that, is thrown in in, in, in into prison. Yeah, it's going to be a very different man that that comes out of prison. And to me, that was the only logical way to to do it. I mean, why would you send somebody like like Don Diego de la Vega to prison if he's going to be the same guy going out as he was coming in? Right. The man that comes out of prison he maybe still has a distant, dim memory of the ideal to which Zorro was supposed to aspire. But he's a very bitter man. This is a man who has been, he's had 20 years to allow himself to get consumed by bitterness, anger, hatred, vengeance. It's all here, guys. And what we're what we see is Diego go Diego the idealist go into prison. It's pissed off out for blood, Diego, that comes out of prison. And I just kind of dig that because number one, it gives the character an arc. All right. It's it's nice when these characters have arcs and Diego absolutely does during this movie. And it's not necessarily the most sophisticated arc. He starts off as an idealist. He becomes vengeful. And eventually, he gets his pound of flesh. It takes a while, but he gets his pound of flesh. Still, the way that I like to think about the... Mar the I keep saying the mark of mask of Zorro is that this is basically Diego in some way or another being reminded of what Zorro was all, always supposed to be. And maybe why it is that Diego isn't really qualified to be Zorro anymore. I mean, yeah, there is the fact that he's kind of an old man now. There is that. But there's, there's an ideal that Zorro is supposed to live up to that... Diego 
It's not that he doesn't believe in it anymore, but he doesn't really aspire to it anymore. You know, this is a guy who doesn't necessarily want to help the people anymore because he has many opportunities to help the people. But every, well, almost every time he has an opportunity to help others, almost every time he chooses not to and instead chooses vengeance. This is a guy who's working on a fundamentally different uh, philosophical paradigm. Zorro was all about ultimately helping the people. Whereas post-prison Diego, this is a guy who wants to kill Montero. There's nothing more to it than that. He wants his revenge. Now, he's not so far gone that he's not, or, or that he's unable to help Alejandro Morietta, number one, and number two, train Alejandro Morietta to become the new Zorro. He's not so far gone that those things are beyond him. He can, and obviously will, do just that. But there are limits to how much Diego is really prepared to do for the, the, the people anymore. After 20 years of being in prison, 20 years, of his, 20 years after his wife's death, 20 years after his daughter was taken from him, Diego just doesn't have as much to give anymore. But there's also an argument that, you know what, he's not the right man at the right time anymore anyway. Diego had a certain objective that he had set out to, to fulfill, namely inspiring the Mexican people to, to, to stand up to, to Spain and declare independence. Well, mission accomplished. He did just that. Here, what we see is a social and political situation where the people, number one, they're in danger of being bullied into becoming an own, their own independent republic and in what looks to be some kind of fucked up oligarchy looking, looking uh, thing with uh, Don Rafael Montero as, I guess, the king of this Republic of Spain that he's, that he's considering. The Mexican people fought for their independence, and now it's time for them to keep their independence. Now, clearly, Diego knows how to, be, how to lead an insurgent rebellion, but his time has passed. He's ultimately a subject of the Spanish crown. And this is not his fight anymore. This is a fight for the Mexican people. And for that, they need one of their own. They can't have one of the Spanish lead them into battle again. That worked fine when the enemy was Spain. But the enemy is not Spain here. At least not directly. The enemy is more specific. It's a man, Rafael Montero. For, for the Mexican people to defeat him, they need to be led into battle by one of their own. And that, I think, is where Alejandro Morietta comes into the picture here. That's why, the, number one, Diego had to die in this movie. And number two, before he did, he had to train a worthy and competent successor. And so... Spanish Zorro dies so that Mexican Zorro can live. 
And so in a weird kind of way, yes, there's the obvious, you know, birth, rebirth, death thing that's happening in, in, in this film. But just from a, from a practical standpoint, the part of Diego that will always be an idealist, but is also a reformer, realizes that fundamentally this has got to be Alejandro Morietta's fight. This has to be the Mexican people's fight. They need this. They need this victory. They need it to be theirs. And it needs, to, for once, it needs to be true. This needs to be genuine. This has to be legitimately the Mexican people's victory over the vestiges of uh, Spanish colonialism. That's the point. And so here again, notwithstanding the fact that I kind of liked Anto Antonio Banderas even before this movie came out, you know, I just thought, you know, his, he was always good. I, I, even back then, you know, I, I just, I'd never seen a movie that had Antonio Banderas in it and said to myself, man, that was a real piece of shit. It just never happened. So, wow, Antonio Banderas is going to be the new Zorro. Okay. It's like, you don't really need to go beyond that. I, you had me at hello, dude. And so, but I just, I really like the, the character arcs and how they unfold in this film over and against the political situation that's happening in California at that time, or sorry, Los Californias, the political situation that's happening in Los Californias at that time. And it's, I think a kind of insightful bit of, uh, uh, of writing guys in that this isn't necessarily, I don't think that it would, it would be just anyone who would come up with this arc for the film. And the thing that I like about it is that it, it, it kind of darts in and out of real world history. You know, there really was a Joaquin Morietta and there really was, I think his name was actually Captain Harry Love. But the point is, this darts in and out of real world history while mixing in uh, folklore as it does so. And this is just a really well, number one, it's just, it's a fun movie all by itself. But number two, the characters are fleshed out in such a way that this isn't just a simple passing of the baton sort of movie where one generation of heroes is replaced with another generation of heroes this is, I'm, I, I don't want to be too flowery about it and say this is cinematic literature, but it, it, it really is, I think, an extremely clever way of telling a Zorro story. Now, there's an argument that this doesn't really leave a lot of dramatic grounds for a sequel to pick up on, and I've never seen The Legend of Zorro, but apparently that, that movie's reputation would tend to sort of agree with me. But none of that's really the point. The point is, for the movie that we do get, again, The Mark of Zorro, this is a ridiculously good movie. And it's a really, it's a ridiculously smart way of, of, of telling the story, making, the, making this movie, and fleshing out these characters. You know, it's, I would, I'll go out on a limb and say, number one, this would be a lesser movie if Alejandro Morietta wasn't in it. And I'll go even further and say this would be a lesser movie if Anthony Hopkins didn't play Diego and Antonio uh, Banderas didn't play Morietta. You know, they they really do 
make a great scene with each other. You know, they have good chemistry with one another. And they're not necessarily, in fact, not necessarily, they are not carbon copies, you know, where one can be interchanged with the others. I've, I'll go out on a limb and say that Morietta, he's not necessarily the, the reformer that, that uh, Diego is, but I do think he's still every bit as much the same idealist. And so it's a little bit different Zorro that ends the movie as compared to the one that starts the movie. And I don't know. It's just all in all, I just, I, look, I really dig this movie. It's, there are, again, I mean, there are probably people out there who are infinitely more knowledgeable about Zorro than I am. And what I just laid out is just kind of the, you know, my own little interpretation of, you know, who this character is and what make, and when I say this character, I'm, talking specifically about Don Diego de la Vega, what it is that makes this man tick, you know, what motivates him, what drives him, inspires him. And, you know, that stuff's all fine, but it's just, that was the baggage that I was bringing into this movie when I first saw it in theaters. And you know what? Damned if that's not more or less exactly the movie that I watched. And so it's as a result of that, it's almost like, for me, this movie is pretty much definitive Zorro. This is Zorro. It, it sounds kind of like a pretentious dick thing to say. Well, this was the way I always saw him. But it kind of fucking was. You know, when I invested just a modicum of thought into it, it, this is the mask of Zorro or something similar to it is more or less what I always kind of envisioned as this character. And the other thing that I like about this movie is that, yes, there's a touch of political thrillerness to this, but this movie has the other foot planted, I would say really firmly in the the world of kind of Robin Hood, Errol Flynn, swashbuckling uh, uh, heroic epics, you know, where the, the, the hero can jump off of a building and land on his feet and he's totally okay and he can swing around on a bull whip and somehow the the whip always it'll always come undone at the minute he needs it to come undone so he can swing over to the next thing and it you know the uh the hero gets punched in the face and somehow his hat doesn't fall off you know stuff like that and the that first off it's just it's kind of even in the 90s, it was kind of rare for Hollywood to do that kind of movie anymore. But to whatever extent that they ever did, it was always done ironically, you know? And there's nothing ironic about Zorro's heroism and action and all that fun stuff, the swashbuckling stuff, in this film. This is all done very sincerely, very straight-laced, very honestly. And I... I wouldn't instantly assume that you can successfully mix quasi-political thriller with Errol, F uh, Errol Flynn's swashbuckling-ness. I don't know. I wouldn't have originally thought that you could blend those two things together successfully and come out with something that's in the least entertaining on the other side, but damned if that didn't happen with this movie. It's just, you know, the, the, the sword fights, the choreography... The just the kind of dashing, daring do 
that's this is just it's just it's a fun time at the movies and it's one of those movies that offers as much substance as you want it to offer or it offers as many superficial thrills as you want it to offer so either way i have no hesitation in in recommending this movie to everybody i had the time of my life watching this movie in theaters i had the time of my life re-watching it specifically for this episode this is just a good fun swashbuckling action fest of a movie that's got plenty of character plenty of uh, political thrillerness to it that interests at least me i don't really know so much about anyone else but at least me you know i uh, i i get into it quite a lot and it's just all in all this is this movie is what i want from zorro and so that's that now as to next week what i'm going to be doing is i'm going to be talking about legion of superheroes volume four number two this time i promise scout's honor it's going to happen. But like I say, I wanted to talk about a movie just to kind of change up the pace a little bit and move away from all this talk about comics that I've been doing and God knows will be doing. You know, just maybe throwing out something that's a little bit different from normal. And who knows? Maybe people are people are going to enjoy this. At the very least, David, if you're listening, and I hope you are, but if you're listening, I hope you enjoyed it. And... You know, thank you for providing me with your top 10 list. I'm not going to repeat everything else that was on there. But there are some kind of neat movies in there that I wouldn't necessarily have thought have thought of as candidates for uh, discussion here on Trinus Magnus Punch's Reality. And I'm, in fact, for that matter, I'm not promising that I will talk about any of the rest of them. But at least the way that I'm feeling right this moment... You know, some of them do sound kind of interesting. So the promise that I'm making to you is that I'm going to give it a lot of thought and I'm kind of leaning towards doing a movie, uh, movie, doing an episode about one of those movies as it is. I haven't really made a final decision on that just yet, but certainly I, I am thinking about it. So number one, thank you for providing me with that top 10 list. <clears throat> and number two, just thanks for being a good guy, man. So... I like I say I hope you enjoyed this episode it's kind of meant to be the way I hope you're taking this the way I hope you're interpreting this is a thank you for all the times that you've spent listening to me talk about comics that I'm not sure you even like all that much but all the same you know thank you very much I, I, I really do I really do appreciate you so anyway like I say I'm gonna be talking about Legion of Superheroes volume 4 number 2 next week and can't wait to do it I've if you hadn't guessed, I, I've already recorded that episode, and if I can pat myself on the back a little bit, I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna go ahead and do so and say, I think that episode turned out really well. I had a lot of fun doing it, and there are some really interesting things that are coming up in Legion of Superheroes issues following number two that, if anything, are even bigger and better. So hopefully that's gonna be something to look forward to. But I think that's uh, pretty much it for me for right now. So. Bye, everybody. I'll see you next time.
Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find this show on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. My Facebook group is the only official place where you can find everything that has anything to do with this show. The reason for that is because I despise Twitter. Pretty much everything about Twitter sucks. So join the Facebook group today. Speaking of Facebook, you can friend me just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com. But remember, all feedback and correspondence emailed to me will be read on mic unless you request otherwise. So, if your email isn't intended for public consumption, don't forget to say so. Otherwise, I'll assume that you want your correspondence to be heard by my dozens and dozens of fans across the world. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Since we're on the subject of feedback, Trentus Magnus Punches Reality can be found on iTunes just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Won't you take a moment to rate my show on iTunes? That helps new listeners find the show. And just in case you don't think that I've given you enough shit to click on just yet, you can sponsor my show simply by going to twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the PayPal button, donate any amount at all, specify that you're sending Magnus some monetary love, and you will be an official sponsor of my show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there's no minimum donation. Be a Trennis Magnus show sponsor today. I don't have a Patreon, because if you think that I hate Twitter, boy, just wait till you hear what I think of Patreon. So, if you want to throw some bucks my way, the Two True Freaks PayPal link is the way to do it. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law. Some assembly required. Batteries not included. Many will enter. Few will win. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trinus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy. is over and Trinus Magnus Punches Reality is back. And you know what else is back? Magnus talks about Smallville. 
My podcast, Usual Discussion About Comics, Movies, and TV Shows, periodically gets put on hold so that I can go full fanboy on Smallville. Smallville is the most underrated live-action adaptation of Superman in all of history, and personally, it's my favorite live-action incarnation of Superman. And I'm not alone either, because listeners all around the world have been shocked to discover just how awesome Smallville is and just how well it holds up to critical scrutiny. Now that the hiatus is over, I'm planning to continue my reappraisal of Smallville Phase 2 by taking a deep dive into the Sainted Season 7. Through the course of my discussion, I'll reveal why the Sainted Season 7 is my favorite season of Smallville's entire run, and I want you along for the ride. Check out Magnus Talks About Smallville, returning to Trinus Magnus Punches Reality in the summer of 2019. And listen for yourself about why Smallville in general and the Sainted Season 7 in particular are both awesome. Magnus talks about Smallville. Coming back soon to 2TrueFreaks.com.